0: Black boy. black, black, black boy. black, 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 black,
1: what is up everybody my name is james D. Fiore, and this is black bolt i woke up this morning um, and was excited for my guest today because of one main overarching theme that i seem to associate with this gentleman which is a positive attitude and then i sent uh, i spent the rest of the day summarily um, crucifying people I didn't like online, which is something I don't normally do anymore. This is not something that I am into. But I felt compelled to do it because I was sort of defending a friend, and then, at the end of the day, I felt really empty inside. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I felt like I have failed myself, and but it brought me back to the original thought that I had this morning about about trying to maintain positivity, and that I am a big believer in that, I think it's a Japanese proverb, where you can find opportunity inside a crisis. Even if the crisis is of your own making. And the really neat thing about um, not getting drunk anymore is that I, I, I often find myself in the last few years Getting excited, finding a, there, there's like an apex in, in a bad situation where my negativity all of a sudden turns on a dime because I remember that there is an opportunity that can be unearthed somewhere in that. And and that usually is what gets me off the cliff's edge. But this gentleman, um, to me, uh, he, he's a keynote speaker. Uh, he, he does a lot of work with people to help develop an authentic personal brand and, and leadership skills. And uh, I'm really excited to have him here today. And I think my audience will be excited as well because we are living in that time of year uh, where people get down. And I think having a positive person sort of uh, lift our spirits is probably in order for many of us. So, with that in mind, I would like to welcome my guest today. His name is Bobby Umar. Bobby, how are you, buddy? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. So yeah, I, I, I started off the day uh, thinking that, you know what, I'm going to channel me some Bobby and I'm going to have a great day and I'm going to be authentic. And now I am calling someone gross on the internet.
2: <laughs> so, oh, you know, it's okay. It's for, everything's forgivable.
1: Yeah, I hope so. But um, it, it, is, it, is it one of those things that it, in a person's personal development, is it more important to shed the bad habits for good or to recognize when you are exercising a bad habit and fix it in the moment
2: uh well i think i think it's a bit of both i mean certainly you want to glean off the things that uh, you know we have trouble with that let's call them bad habits whatever that might be but at the same time you know you also have to be always mindful of improving yourself in the moment too and and the other thing too is I'll, I'll, i mean despite being a positive positive person and trying to be someone who's always empathetic and that's something i focus a lot on the kindness compassion piece the love piece but i think that uh, we also have to express our emotions too i think it's important for us to you know i ranted today on twitter like i I don't do it very often but i did i did have a tweet read today about uh, a client who was just like taking forever to pay me and and that's okay like i I need to put it out there sometimes and and that's okay so but i but i I like your point about being in the moment and being mindful of you know how can i make this a better moment for myself and the other people that I'm involved with. And uh, I try to do that more than uh, often. I mean, I I think there's a place um, for people to, to yell and scream and things like that, but uh, I often choose to always focus on the the positive or the learning or whatever it is I can do to grow and move past uh, whatever I'm dealing with.
1: It's probably reasonable for us to just blame winter solstice, Right. Well, we blame everything. We
2: blame our parents, or the pandemic, the, the solstice, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, and I think that uh, at the end of the day, um, you can blame who you want, but if you keep making excuses, you're never going to actually uh, do, do the, the good work you do on yourself. And so that's something I've been doing a lot in the last five, 10 years, and it's been great and really helpful to me. And that's why I like to help people do the same thing.
1: I'm glad you mentioned parents um, because I, I, I heard a clip of you today say something that I thought was both visceral and important. And it was the memory that you have of sitting on your mom's lap when you were a young boy and her arms around you, her hands clasped and you guys just talking. Yeah. And the reason why I thought that was a, kind of a um, a powerful kind of image wasn't just because it's nice when parents and kids talk to each other but it sort of captured a lot of things that we seem to be missing these days physical contact actual conversation that isn't uh, through a digital filter and family um, you know and spending time with family there, there the pandemic kind of created a really interesting phenomenon in, in in the world that I see where people are just kind of like the introverts are like, yes, now I can just stay home and no one can bug me. And a lot of extroverts were like, this introvert thing ain't that bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, but just to circle back, because I don't want to bury my own question. Um, that memory of your mom, is that something that you retrieve on a regular basis in order to like reset yourself? Or can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Uh, well, I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, a scene from the movie uh, X-Men First Class where Magneto has one positive memory of his mom. Uh, that uh, that Professor X kind of you know, f- f- finds in him, and you know, I'm I'm grateful that I have many many good memories, and so I wouldn't say that I, I focus on that one specifically. I think that that's one of many that been, I'm able to you know access. Although at the same time, parents are also one of the biggest. Uh, influences on the challenges and the emotional pain that we have growing up. So I do have, you know, we all have mommy daddy issues and I have some myself, but I do have a lot of really good memories uh, that I take from my mom and my dad in terms of growing up. And I think that uh, being able to do that actually is really important because it allows us to, to get through uh, some of the stuff that we're going through. And similarly with the pandemic and all the things we're going through now, I mean, yeah, there's, there was a huge need for deeper connection with people. I was talking about deeper connection before uh, the pandemic. I, my first TED Talk was in 2011, and I talked about the power of deeper, vulnerable, authentic connection. And, mm. and then during the pandemic, it got worse because now we're not the face-to-face and we needed that even more. And so now I see it, there's a hunger for it. And a lot of us have forgotten how to do this. And so it's even more important for us to to ground ourselves and to have that connection, have that face-to-face in-person stuff, as well as the physical touch
1: you mentioned authenticity um that was something else i wanted to talk to you about because uh you you did a ted talk on i'm gonna forget i don't do notes right so i'm gonna forget the title but it was based on authenticity i think um that was sort of like the core thing that you were talking power of connections what i called it yeah and yeah and so i i was wondering if you remember the uh movie bull durham the baseball movie sure and um uh the, the pitcher uh, sorry the uh, Kevin costner's character is the, is the catcher and he's and his tagline or whatever to the pitcher is don't think meet just throw right. and he garters to wear on the mound so that he wouldn't be in his head I was a baseball player for many years um semi-pro kind of thing like just below where it gets to professional and I remember the kind of um, for lack of better words part of my vernacular but the mind it was to try to Think about not thinking, and I I feel like authenticity is similar to that. If you try to be authentic, you're you're not being authentic because the try kind of takes over the authenticity. I I find, and I was just wondering what you thought about this. um, that I can notice, oh, you know what? I wasn't even thinking about it, and I've been totally just being myself for the last half hour. And, uh, and that was great. And then I have to then teach my mind to distract itself away from thinking like that again, or else I won't feel authentic anymore. Is it kind of like that for everybody?
2: I don't think so. I think that, uh, you know, uh, authenticity can also come with genuine intent, right? So, you know, if, if I, gen- like, so for example, you know, working on ourselves to genuinely ask the question or to tell the truth or to actually get out there and talk to people or you know, do that intentional Thing or act, I think that's a good thing. So whether it's something that's natural and just happens, or is something you've planned with good intention, I think that's an important piece. So you know, a lot of the authentic things we do in our life are, are both, right? So if I plan to do a good job at something, or I plan to help somebody else, that, that's fine. That's authentic too. But I'll, but and the thing is, if I keep practicing all these things over and over again, eventually the natural authenticity of what we're doing every day uh, will, will will start to shine through more often.
1: Where were you brought up?
2: I was brought up on the east coast of uh, Canada, which, and I grew up in a small town. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting. It was an inter- interesting place to grow up because uh, there were very many people like us. I mean, there's you know the brown community was like a small, tight knit community about a hundred people in a town about a hundred thousand folks, and uh, so it was it was a very you know white. <laughs> White place to grow, grow up to, but uh, it, it was uh, it was lovely. I I really enjoyed it.
1: So, you're a maritimer, right? But like, that's where you maritimer, you're... yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I won't push too hard because I can tell you kind of don't want to talk about where, the exact location. Oh, no, uh, St. <laughs> no. I don't okay. care, St. John, New Brunswick. It's fine, okay, okay, yeah. New, New Brunswick people are funny, they, they pluralize words that have no business being pluralized, like somewheres, anywheres, yeah, that's right, yeah, it's a strange place, um, but you know, <laughs> and, and and so the the how much do you credit your upbringing to where you are now how much, is there a cause and effect there or is it a is it is it, was there a point where you're like all right i'm not from here anymore i'm going to go find myself and i'm just going to you know be on my way
2: well i mean everything we everything we do uh, you know forms who we are but i mean you know the, the biggest influence we have our are our, our parents our friends and our experiences. Now those experiences and friends can be anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's a big city or a small city, your parents are going to be anywhere you are. So, you know, growing up in a smaller town certainly had some effect, but I'd say the more transformative periods of my life were really my twenties, uh, late teens and twenties. So, and that's when I kind of went away. So I would say that big city living has been had, it had a huge impact on me more than small city living because I moved to Montreal and then I moved to Toronto and being in a diverse, uh, fast-paced, competitive city, uh, and, and you know, helped me experience a lot of really interesting things and I never would have experienced in New Brunswick. So I'm kind of glad that I was able to get out of there and do these other things because I think they probably had greater uh, effect on me.
1: How would you describe your career trajectory?
2: <laughs> uh, it's a mixed bag, right? I mean, uh, I was following a path of success defined by other people, and then you know, my dad, or, or society, or companies, or corporations. And uh, it took me a really long time to get to where I was. I had, you know, I've had four careers. I you know, did, did engineering, then bread and I in marketing, did some teaching. Finally, found my true calling with professional speaking and training. and And that was 17 years ago. And have a look back, but it was definitely uh, when, I, when I look back at, it, I, th- I think it was me trying really hard to please everyone else mm-hmm. as well as please myself in terms of how I defined what success and ambition really meant to me.
1: I heard you talk about that a few times in totally different uh, scenarios and years apart. So that obviously is a core belief of yours that you um, that people need to f- stop living under other people's expectations of success and start find- navigating your own. Wow, can I ever relate to that? Like, you, you know, uh, I. Yeah, that spoke to me because it's it's real. It's, I keep on going back to the story about how if um, the pandemic has been so good for my career that if someone gave me a button that said you can save all the people that died if you press this red button, but your career trajectory goes back to 2019, I'm like, I don't know if I press the button. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> which is really selfish. I get it, but um, but really, uh, it's just it's a ridiculous concept because that would never happen. And I'm really just trying to say that I, I don't think I even looked at the success um, that I was expecting from myself until that happened. And are you, when you, when you speak to groups and when you, when you train people to to sort of figure out, you know, if, if that is part of your uh, mandate to try yeah. sometimes to try to get people to figure out what their version of success is, what kind of mental humps do they have to get over in order to get there? Because sometimes I think it's involuntary. We don't realize that we're, we're espousing the success definition that isn't ours.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with this. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for most people is once you get embedded into a corporate culture, it's very hard for the, or, or the golden handcuffs, as they call it, it's very hard to let go of that, right? There's always that next bonus or the next promotion or the next opportunity, and they get entrenched. You know, you're if you're in a company for 20 years, it's really hard to leave. There's also the fear of the uncertainty, the unknown what's out there, like, you know, do I do a transition? Do I do a hard leave? Uh, so people have a lot of stuff at at play. So the culture of where they are, comes into play. Uh, There's the uncertainty principle in terms of why going to the unknown is something very scary for a lot of people. And then most of us have been trained and ingrained in our head to do things that still make us happy. So they typically, for example, you know, get a job, even though it doesn't make you happy, or, you know, find a partner, even though maybe it doesn't make you happy. Uh, You got to do this because it doesn't make you happy, even though it doesn't make you happy. I often talk about this thing, which is the, the, the four areas of fulfillment, right? So there's the people in your life family, friends, whatever it might be, the work that you do, the passion pursuits, and then the the spiritual aspect. And most of us will uh, be satisfied with one and dissatisfied with the other. They'll say, oh, you know, I hate my job, but thank God for the wife and kids. Or, you know, uh, can't stand the wife and kids, but that's why I immerse myself in my work. Or, gosh, hate my job, hate my wife and kids, thank goodness for, uh, you know, hot yoga or rock climbing. And You can actually fulfill all those areas. You can actually improve all those areas, but most of us uh, resign ourselves or and align ourselves with having uh, one of the four areas or more, most of them unfulfilled.
1: But it takes uh, a par- like it, it takes partners, though, right? Like if you if you want, let's uh, on relationships and career and just that balance.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, you need um, a like-minded partner in order to make that balance work, or you need to leave them. Isn't that really kind of like? I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, people that watch the show know that I, I joke about this, but I mean, like, I, you know, I, it wasn't until uh, my wife and I decided that we were going to separate when I, you know, really had a, a, a laser focus of my career. Uh, I, I felt like I, I needed uh, a, a willing, uh, like a partner who was all in. In order for my career to, to, and I still kind of believe that, in, in order for my career to work. Because I think I'm emotional and I think that I, uh, my work is tied to my emotion, right? Because all I, all I do is write.
2: Well, what I would say is that everything is either an asset or it's an obstacle, right? And it doesn't mean necessarily you can't do it. So if, if I have the asset that I'm super smart, will I be successful? Not necessarily, but it helps, right? If I have a, a partner who doesn't support me, will I be successful? I can be but it's an obstacle. Yeah. Right. So yeah, we have assets, we have obstacles and they're always there. I mean, the more you can build a better mindset, have an aligned partner, you know, do all the different things that'll, you know, help you uh, create better outcomes for yourself. I think it's a good thing to do, but I would never say that you can't do it because of this. Uh, I think that there are always ways around those things. And, you know, I've worked with people who, you know, have had those situations and they're able to, know whether they do it on their own or I think the other thing I'll say is that if you want to make an impact in your life it's really hard to do it by yourself so it's important to have people that support you or help you whether you ask uh, a coach a consultant a therapist whatever it might be or even a a couple of good friends to help you move from one place to the next
1: with a skill set like yours have you ever decided have you ever thought about getting into politics
2: uh, yes, I think that, uh, it's something I thought about for many, many years. And it's funny, you know, like I, I get it all the time, but, uh, I think about, about maybe 12, was it 12, maybe 12, 12 13 years ago, I, I was involved with this, uh, this organization and, and we ran a political debate and, uh, I, I was, I was organizing it and I got, I got so disillusioned by the entire process of just getting these, these people that just, commit to and agree to doing it they kept doing all this stuff about well who's showing up are they coming have they committed and like and i, and I was like guys it's like you either come or you don't come like what what the heck and so i called them out on it and then my the, my manager got mad at me for you know doing that i was like well you know like so for me i'm i'm very no bs you know and i'm very honest and so to be confined to a party to be confined to not being able to be myself i find that to be extremely restrictive and just recently, uh, just almost one of my family members was texting me and saying, "Hey, I think you should get into politics because there'd be a lot of people who support you, including your family." I'm like, "That's fine, but I, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to do it because I think that uh, it it will be very hard for me. Like, I have a thick skin, but I think it will be hard for me to navigate uh, the inability to be as transparent and authentic as I want to be.
1: That's probably what would make you a good candidate well it's sure always, but,
2: yeah. but yeah but then no no party wants me I mean, the yeah, problem is the politics has a party system so what i can do and what i do uh do out there is i am a huge advocate I, i'm i'm advocating for lots of social issues i'm putting my voice out there i'm calling things out i'm calling them as i see it and yes i'm very political and i'm grateful that i have some influence to put that po- political influence uh to work
1: the debate thing was that the toronto mayoral Debate the two thousand. No, this was
2: years ago. It was it was during the there was during a federal election, and I had basically agreed to run a debate for uh, some candidates. And yeah, okay. I just found it to be just really crappy. It,
1: it is uh, a so I I yeah yeah I've been in one debate in my life. Um, I was a what what the media would call a fringe candidate in the twenty ten Toronto mayoral election. Okay, and um, I won an online poll by cheating. <laughs> right because because they didn't have that thing where it blocks your ip so you could just keep on voting so i literally spend a night just like i still think i have carpal tunnel just from that night um and i was able to debate against rob ford and uh smitherman and um, um rocco rossi and joe pantaloni okay at uh at the art gallery of ontario there's like three thousand people in the audience wow and the night before i'm sitting there and i'm like I, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So I called my friend Laura Creeden and I'm like, Laura, I, I you know, th- I'm doing this debate tomorrow. She's like, I know, I'm so excited, I'm gonna do that. And I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And she gave me a piece of advice that at the time I admit I thought was hokey. But she's like, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to um give yourself like a few minutes and then imagine yourself at the debate. And then imagine yourself calmly answering a question we already knew what the questions were in advance. Visioning good stuff yeah she was exactly what she got she's like sure. you need to visualize this you need to you know and um and then i did the debate the next day i didn't answer the questions like them but the global mail called me the winner the next day which i was just like what you know and i walked away from that realizing something i think that if you if you reach down to that spot that makes you feel like yourself and makes you feel calm about being yourself and you don't allow the ecosystem around you to sort of impact your emotions, I think people can do anything, at least in the public speaking realm, you know, like obviously preparedness is important, but you know, how important would be uh, that, that exercise of visualizing a success before it materializes?
2: Well, visualization is a technique I, I work with my clients on, and particularly for those who want to become professional speakers, right, to visualizing what the, the room's going to look like and who their ideal client is and what it feels like. I think that you know there's a reason why athletes use visualization because mindset is a huge part of mindset and confidence are two really really important things when it comes to any sort of success in business in life and in speaking and so i, I think that uh, the more you can do that i mean the more confidence you have the more persuasion you'll be more your confidence wins their confidence right so mm-hmm. that i think can help a, a big deal and and then you know and then as soon as you as long as you, you're grounded in your values and grounded in, in, in who you are and when in being yourself uh, you should be you should do okay because you, you have a passion or a, a desire to you know help people
1: do you have any heroes or mentors
2: uh sure i mean uh people that i that i, I admire and then uh people that are, that mentor me i mean one of my one of my uh um, mentors is ron Tite. he's a friend of mine i've known him for years but he's a creative director a comedian and also a very uh political guy he's posting a lot on mostly on twitter and linkedin but uh, every time I meet with him, he just really inspires me I, that like, you know, it was funny because for years I didn't have a mentor and I, I tried to figure out what he actually asked me years ago, Why don't you write uh, this blog post for the boys and girls club and, uh, talk about what, what does mentorship mean? And I realized over the years I never had a mentor, but I was like, well, if there's someone that I really want to be, that I admire, that I like to be like, who would it be? And I thought, well, actually it's you, Ron and then I asked Aww. him to be my mentor. Yeah, I know, I just thought of that. <laughs> and I asked him to be my mentor and then he didn't say anything for like 3 months and I was like dejected. And then I and then I invited to him to an event and then I said did you get my emails? he's like no, no, I never got it. I was like no, please, will you be my mentor? He's like yeah, sure. And then that was fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, he, he's my and then I admire people who are able to uh, you know, live very authentically, are able to speak their mind in ways I mean, uh, on Twitter, there's lots of people that I admire. But, you know, some big names that come to my mind. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Bernie Brown. I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I think those guys, you know, they talk about the hustle. They're very authentic. They, you know, talk about vulnerability. Uh, they talk about kindness, compassion. These are things that I espouse, I've seen the impact they can have with their words and their knowledge. And I think for me, uh, that's the type of impact I like to have too.
1: It's funny. Someone told me once to find, um, and he didn't mean it in a negative way, but he said, try to find um someone like take a hero that you have it could be in real life or it could be whoever and try to find something that you disagree with them about he said because what a lot of people do is that they um they become ideological about their heroes and then they just kind of agree with everything they say and they don't end up thinking for themselves do you agree with that principle
2: uh well i mean i think that it's important to have uh you know Constructive criticism and self-awareness about these different things, and I think that's incredibly important. Um, you know, I don't go over-analyzing Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, Bernie Brown, but I mean, I, I remember one time there was, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't really, uh, I don't agree with his um, his hustle lifestyle in terms of how many hours he puts into his work. I mean, I wouldn't do that, but that's me because I prefer a different life balance. But he does what works for him. So on that front, I disagree with him. Right? And that's OK. I mean, but I don't spend my time looking for it. I think that I think it's important to be grounded and be able you got to be able to criticize your leaders. If you can't criticize the people you love, and the people you follow, and the people you admire, then you basically lost bias and you're a sheep. So yeah. it's really important for us to be able to do that. I often, you know, when I talk about Canadian politics, you know, I've, I've criticized every single politician that's, you know, come our way, even though, you know, I voted for them. And I don't know who it was
1: that you criticized, Bobby, but they deserved it go ahead. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, if I'm going to criticize them, they probably deserve it because I, you know, I, I I only do so when I feel like it's necessary. And, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, in US politics, right? If you can't criticize, leave your follow, then, you know, you're, you're a bit too biased and you need to let go of that bias a little bit and be thoughtfully critical of some of the things that you like and the things you don't like.
1: That's what bothers me about Canadian politics and the party system that we have. Um, The example of that, the, the easiest one I can come up with is Stephen Harper's in power the liberals of the opposition uh, over and over again for months and months, they get on them about, uh, there were two things that stood out. One was the, uh, the veterans affairs and how they handled uh, veteran pensions and the hoops they had to go through. And the fact that they took veterans to court, right? That was the big thing. Mm -hmm. And then the liberals get into power and they just continue, excuse me, the same issues. Um, they, they kept the veterans in court, um, you know, it took them a while to get off uh, to, to stop sitting on their hands when it came to indigenous uh, drinking water and things like that. And I, and I was, and there's all, there's a whole slew of issues like that. And, and I, I find that I always like to say that politics is sort of the art of managing hypocrisy, because if you are out of power, you criticize people, you get in, uh, you criticize the government. then when you are government, you're criticized for the same thing. And, you could take the transcripts of when they were in uh, the opposite spots. It's identical. When, it's so identical.
2: Yeah, no, I know.
1: Yeah. Wait, so when you were talking earlier about you couldn't be a politician because um, I think what you said was uh, because you would have to be not as transparent as you would, as you would want to be. That is sort of speaking to what I'm talking about right now. It, it, so it, the problem is. It, well, I'm gonna. I should ask you. What is your main beef with Canadian politics if you had to be critical of the system as a whole?
2: Well, I think my my biggest beef with the Canadian politics is representation, right? I mean, you know, we the you have you have 18% of electorate voting in for a party that gets 38% of the vote, which then gets a majority government that has 100% of the power. That to me is absolutely bonkers because now you have 80% of people who've who who voted and have no have no representation uh, in what they want. So I think that to me is Uh, one of the worst things ever because I'd much rather have some sort of proportional representation or or voter reform around that because yeah and we just keep going back and forth the two parties and they just you know they do things they undo things they do things undo do things and they do some things the same every single time because they're majority and there's no there's no power for anyone to do anything for four to five years so uh for me that is the the biggest problem and I think the the second biggest problem that's coming up now is just in the last, you know, five to ten years, there's a lot of rage and hate and anger and vitriol, which is, you know, like uh 15 years ago, if uh you know, if Jean Chrétien disagreed with I don't know, Brian Mulroney back in the day, right, they would have this debate and they would, you know, use their words and use the language and all that kind of stuff, and there wouldn't be anybody threatening people with violence or harm or, or saying they should be hung or they're, they're treasonous. And so, But now it's like that all the time, Uh, and I find that to be very, very bothersome. I find it to be really concerning. There's a lot of anger, a lot of hate and vitriol out there. I mean, certainly the information in media age certainly didn't help. That certainly fueled it. The pandemic didn't help it either, but now there's a lot of bitter divide. There's there's people literally out there who uh, want uh, people dead or hurt, and I just think that's absolutely unbelievable, and I think that's a huge concern because I think it's growing.
1: Do you think that they literally want that or do you think that they're just so hateful and passionate as individuals that they say it but really when it comes down to brass taxes that they probably don't
2: but that's how it starts right the more you talk when, when you talk in a hateful way towards any group Marginalized or not marginalized, eventually that'll feed itself into to to sow itself into into acts acts of violence and acts of bad things. So I think that there are some, maybe not all, but let's let's say for our argument's sake, twenty percent of people are doing vitriolic stuff and hating horrible things. Uh, I, there's going to be a percentage of those people who would actually act, and so I think it, it fuels it. We all know that you know divisive divisiveness fuels more divisiveness, and we know that hateful rhetoric against any people will eventually lead to actions that are negative that we don't want those
1: i completely agree i i I, you know i i noticed it when uh do you remember the uh i don't know this sounds so ridiculous in hindsight but um when when there was a big trend among um i guess the far left whatever you want to call it uh where they would say stephen harper eats babies you remember that
2: I don't, but I mean, you know, again, uh, I see the, the far fringes on left and right doing, yeah, saying things yeah, to I was get about, attention, but yeah, it's, it's a I bad I was thing. about to
1: do the, the flip side of that is um, that today, the version of Stephen Harper Eats Babies, as far as I'm concerned, are the fuck Trudeau signs and flags. Like, when I see, first of all, I am completely deflated as to what we've become. And second of all, I'm like, I know exactly as much as I need to know about the person that's waving that flag. And that makes me sad because I, I actually am um, cut from the type of cloth where I, I do want to talk to anybody and I want to be able to, to like sit down because um, Daryl Davis, I think of that guy a lot. Daryl Davis, for those who don't know, is a black man in the States who has befriended and then um, was, the success, was the catalyst in the, uh, people leaving the Ku Klux Klan and he's a black dude and he would go and and basically recruit people to not be in the clan anymore and for a lot of these clansmen they were clearly racist but they also had never spoken to a black person before right and now he considers a a few a handful of them like his good buddies now when the pandemic started I, i i used to be on the dean blundell show and i remember having like heated exchanges with panelists saying Guys, I don't think we should bully these people that are like speaking about the pandemic in ways that are, um, that we might find to be not as alarmist as we would like, or later on, you know, that had issues with the vaccine rollout. I don't think we should bully these people. And I just, you know, everyone kind of completely disagreed. And I feel like we, uh, we reap what we sow in a lot of ways. And I think that. You know the the condition of the far right conservative or the low information conservative, and I'm not trying to be elitist and a dick about it, but there are clearly people that have uh, trouble finding facts and 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 gravitating towards flat earthy kind of stuff. But they've also been completely neglected, and I'm I'm wondering if you think as because you're a person that specializes in reaching people. If you think that there are people out there that are not reachable, or do you think really at the end of the day everyone is reachable? We just have to find the right path.
2: Well, I mean, you know, this is a really this is a thing that really resonates a lot with me because for about I think six years, my pinned tweet was all about empathy, bridging understanding, and not being divisive or hateful. Because my feeling is that divisiveness just creates more divide. It fuels more anger, more hate. It uh, doesn't really bridge anything. It just really, you know, you preach to the choir, they get them fired up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to me, if you really want to create change, you have to find a way to build bridges of understanding and empathy and things like that. Now, it takes a long time, and it's really, really hard, but you still got to do it. Now, you know, that said, I mean, can you reach everybody? No. I mean, some people just aren't aren't ready to listen to you. and you may try and try and try, and they may never want to listen, and that that's fine. but the, the thing is, if there's a fence here and you want to bring people over, you don't try to talk to the person way over there. You try to talk to people close to the fence and explain to them where you're at, try to have a conversation. and next thing you know, they might change their perspective on things. And I think that that's where that's where it starts. And that's where we have success, but no one ever brought someone over uh, to another point of view or change them because of divisiveness or hate, hateful rhetoric. it doesn't work. And so whether they're, you know, whether you're trying to talk to them about, you know, any sort of, any sort of uh, position that they have, and, you know, I, and I've had to deal with people with position on all sides, but. To me, the only way to get to them is say, hey, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Um, let's do a call. Let's meet in person. Let's break bread. Those are the ways that you're able to do it. It's not going to happen just because they read my Twitter thread and say, oh, wow! Well, well, I guess Bobby's changed my mind. I'm going to give up all my, you know, like it's not that's that's the start. And, you know, I've had a couple of great conversations with people on Twitter, particularly where, you know, I try to be very positive. I try to be very empathetic. But I also, you know, have to call. Let's, let's focus on the behaviors. Let's, let's stop at the name calling. I think that's, and I remember years ago, actually during the Rob Ford years, I remember posting something on Facebook and someone said, hey, why are you, why are you like insulting him personally? Why are you making fun of his like weight, for example? And I said, you know what? You're right. That's stupid. I shouldn't do that. I'm going to stop doing that. So from now on, I never do that. Even like, even, even Trump, you know, a lot of people make fun of his hair and his, his weight. I never do. Uh, I just talk about the policies. I talk about the actions. I think those to me are the ones that we have to call them out because uh, I see it all the time. And someone who's overweight, I see a lot of fat shaming. It's like, you know what? It's enough with the fat shaming. Like if you really have an issue with somebody, talk about their ideas, talk about their behaviors and, and do it in a way that gets people to say, yeah, that I'm glad you said it that way, as opposed to the other way. But the overall arching point though, is that if you want to create change and bridge understanding and convince people uh, to you know change their belief systems or at least uh, you know take on new knowledge or take on new, new belief systems it's got to come with a bridge of understanding and mutual respect and trust otherwise it's never going to happen
1: plus with trump there are so many authentic things you can insult him for like his rotting soul and his uh completely um you know uh, uh... Positive free personality. That man, he's an interesting. Um, well, there's lots of there's lots of actions you can talk about, right? So yeah, well, there's that too, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a weird thing. That that was um, someone uh, made the point once after he was elected that there is a um, there are people that think that we are living in in uh, artificial reality <laughs> and that the Trump presidency. Is the clearest evidence we'll ever find that we that this reality is not real, and, and yeah, yeah, I mean, it made me said, feel well, better.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, when he when he when he said the Mexicans are rapist things, I mean, the thing is, like nowadays there are no repercussions for people like they used to be. I mean, Nixon, you know, resigned because he said what what he got caught and he left, and now. People do heinous stuff in politics and nothing happens. There's, there's apology or there's no apology and they just they, they double down on stuff and there's hardly any repercussions for people nowadays. So it's a it's definitely a changed world in the political landscape, how do we handle people who are hypocritical and lie all the time? I mean, it's very, very difficult and all we can keep. And, and and also by, by calling out all the time, you're also giving them a lot of uh, fuel and fire that they, you know, they fan everywhere. And so they get, they get to be in the news all the time. So it's a very challenging position for us to try to have meaningful conversation, to try to call out the things that are important uh, because, you know, things do need to be called out, but then how do you balance that with not giving them too much attention?
1: Yeah, I know it is. This is a strange one. and uh, Ford, I used to feel sorry for sometimes because, sure. um, and, and I got really mad at progressives back then um, because I thought that when it was established that he was clearly a man that was struggling with addiction, and I would see all these people who, uh, from the left or center left, whatever you want to call it, but just people who are progressive in nature, completely abandon their principles that addiction is a disease, and that it's something that we should uh, find ways to help people and just abandon that completely and call him a crackhead. I wrote a piece for the Huffington Post on the, I think it was on the day after he died because I I was watching uh, people that I thought I respected, like, make fun of this dead addict who did a lot of, like, really silly, stupid, and sometimes, um, you know, just mean things when he was, when he was alive, but that death has the last word. And, and seeing progressives make fun of him for being a crackhead on the day after he died, like just floored me. Um, the weird thing is I never had any empathy for Trump. There, there's nothing about Trump that I can find that I'm like, oh, you know what? So if, you, so
2: if he died today, how would you feel?
1: Indifferent. Indifferent.
2: So you wouldn't feel positive or negative about it?
1: If you know what that's a great question. If he was president, I think I'd probably feel positive. Okay. And and the reason why is because I thought he was a unique danger to the entire establishment. I, I, I didn't think that, you know, there was George Bush Sr. was or Junior was a different type of danger. He was like a war hawk policy guy who was in it for uh, corporations to make money during wars that he started that he shouldn't have. And that to me was just like, but it was easy to follow the trail of breadcrumbs Trump. I could easily imagine him at some summit being like, well, fuck you, we're going to nuke you and then just get up and leave. And then all of a sudden there's all these things happening and then people are on high alert. Like I felt like he was just way too unpredictable. And that was, to me, was dangerous.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I, I agree. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of, uh, They're like, you know, the the series of behaviors over and over and over and over, like, you know, a thousand times over. I mean, that's certainly what happens. That said, I mean, you know, there, there are ways to find empathy for people and the people around them and what they've been through. Right. I think that's that's one thing you can do. I mean, you can. I mean, okay, Trump, I think, is the extreme example. But, you know, how do we find empathy for him? Probably empathy for the way he was raised. Maybe he had a really, really difficult father maybe didn't get enough hugs uh does that mean that i support him hell no i don't uh there's so much about his behavior that is incredibly terrible but you know i I can find some way to create that to find that empathy and when it comes to trolls and, and very hateful people the empathy actually allows you to understand that you know hurt people hurt others and they project their pain and their emotional damage and uh you know and and doing so if they do stuff that affects me negatively uh at least empathy doesn't hurt as much because i can have some sort of understanding of it but that said i mean you know empathy is hard empathy takes work empathy is is like it's your heart most you have to exercise it over and over again for anybody but i challenge every single one of you to exercise your empathy muscle for the people that you dislike the most to try to exercise that and find the common good or find the humanity or find something that you can actually do that connects you to them. So even going back to the people who hate Trudeau, I mean, uh, honestly, like they, 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 people find things to make fun of, but you know, like there's certain times, for example, when I tweet stuff about any sort of politician and you know, when I see him with his kids, like that's sweet. I'm a dad. I can, I love that. I respect that. Why would I want to hate that? If, if Harper back in the day is playing piano with his kids, that's nice. Yeah, you know, I, like I don't that. I don't have to hate on him for that. Like I think that's a good thing. So And I didn't you know, think the, he was
1: a bad singer either. I just want to state that for the record. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't <laughs> yeah. like professional, but I mean I, I could listen sure. to that man sing. That's fine.
2: Yeah. So for yeah. me, uh, I think that a lot of people struggle with that. They, you know, they just put their energy in, in the wrong place. And and I was gonna go back to other another point, which is, you know, the people who were poking fun at Rob Ford or who were poking fun at, you know, people who they dislike or have a lot of anger and hate for. And when they go through some trauma uh, again, I can understand and empathize why they do that because in the moment, right, these people cause them so much pain. Then the moment when they're gone, there is a moment of, there is a, there is a positive feeling. There is this, Oh, thank goodness. There is relief. And so I understand that now, you know, they choose to do that. We can call them out and say, you shouldn't do that. Okay. You know, great. I mean, I did the same thing to Rob Ford and I got called up for it. And then I changed my perspective. And so uh, I understand where these people are, why they're doing that. But at the end of the day, if they did it a couple of times and, you know, and then stop realized maybe I shouldn't do it anymore. Good. I'm glad that we were able to teach them, but I do understand where they, where they're coming
1: from. I I miss politicians that were like cut from a a cloth, like Jack Layton. You know, I I miss guys like that. Like I I lived in, uh, in the annex and I, I think he lived in Greektown. I'm not sure, but I think he did. But we used to see each other all the time. We used to end up, uh, he used to ride his bike and then tie it up at around uh, right. college and university. And I used to walk from call uh, from like college and bathrooms to whatever to, to Bay. And I used to just, we just crossed paths all the time. So I started talking to him. And the interesting thing about him is that he had a, he was like Bill Clinton, but without that tremendous amount of slime, <laughs> right? like Bill Clinton had a way to make you feel like you were the only person that existed. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the good part about it. He was very engaging like that. Jack Layton was exactly like that, except he was, you know, not banging everything in sight on the side, right? Like he was, he, you know, he, he seemed like a guy that, that was just uh, really in and for the public service. Um, do you think that we're leaderless right now? Because you're a leadership professional and, and you talk about leadership a lot. As far as politics go in this country, are we leaderless right now?
2: No, we have lots of leaders that uh, are, are leading us. Whether they do it uh, in, in a small in a small kind of thing, like you know, someone who's at the municipal level, someone who's at the provincial level. We have leaders who are stepping up and and taking care of things, or at least calling out things. And then when you look at the leaders at the at the you know the the higher levels, I mean, you know, I as much as I didn't vote for Trudeau and I didn't actually and I criticized him all the time, I definitely see leadership qualities in him that I think are helpful. I see the same thing in the other leaders now they all have their flaws, right? But I think, you know, are we leaders? No, There's there are a thousand leaders everywhere. We just have to see it. And we also have a leader within ourselves that we can step up and call for change and be the, be the change if you want to be. But most of us are spending our time complaining as opposed to being part of the solution. And so I think, you know, uh do we have and and we see leaders in other forms like you know we have leaders in climate action we have leaders in social justice we have leaders in racism fight fight racism and bullying and and things like that and so uh for me uh, every time i see an act of leadership or one that's fighting the cause for marginalized vulnerable and you know small voices out there uh uh you know i think yeah that's leadership that's stepping up you don't leadership doesn't mean you raise a billion dollars leadership can be very something like, you know, Michael J. Fox raised a billion and a half dollars for Parkinson's. That's amazing. But even someone who does something small and gets out there and, you know, knocks on doors or or, or talks to people or uh, does a survey or, or raises, you know, a hundred dollars for a cause that they believe. in, I think that's, that's something really important too.
1: I'm not sure if you're supposed to do this or not, but like that visualization thing, I have visualized the life path of a totally different person. And that is Nahid Nenshi, because I think he can be prime minister one day. I think that if Nahid Nenshi tomorrow I love that decide, guy. I love him too. And I think that if he tomorrow decided, yeah, I'm going to be the leader of the NDP, I think he could do it. And I think that we could finally see an NDP government. I only vote NDP, not even because I care about their platform, but because, as I like to say, they're the only party that hasn't had a chance to wreck the family car yet. So I feel like we should just toss them the keys and see how they do it's just the way I well
2: look. well you know and I, I think that brings up another interesting discussion about you know jagmeet singh and naheed naheed nanshi because you know i think that we still have a bit of a race problem so how are we going to navigate that and deal with that i mean one of the things for me that's interesting is growing up in new brunswick you know i i was a leader and people looked up to me and they you know they liked me i was very likable and and i never really experienced that much racism in uh, growing up in New brunswick which is funny uh but when i went to toronto i experienced far more racism in toronto yeah. um i try to figure out why but i think it's because there was more of us like back in new brunswick i wasn't really a threat because i was only a group of like there was like you know five brown guys in my in my high school of like 1800 yeah. people and then but here now there's so many of us that you know that people started going to the little, the little tribal the tribal thinking and so i think there's definitely a race issue here i'm not sure how much of an impact it is i mean just like it is hard for the women to break the ceiling uh ethnic uh you know visual minorities have the same challenges and so. You know, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that change. But uh, you know, we're seeing it in some places. But uh, Canada still has a problem, and hopefully, we can get uh, get past that.
1: Um, Speaking of, uh, well, first of all, let me just say that if I went to your school, um, I'd be friends with the brown guys. But eventually, you'd be like, "It's because of my mom's cooking, isn't it, James?" That's the fucking why you're here. (laughs) And I'd be like, "Yeah, you're okay, but yeah, your mom's cooking's good." But um, I wanted to show this picture because we do have sort of a mutual buddy here. oh yeah karima (laughs) and and just to circle back karima um, is the reason why i went down my rabbit hole of twitter fight today because i was trying to defend her honor she didn't ask me to it was an unsolicited attempt to be well it actually wasn't an attempt to be anything other than the fact that it really bothers me when people trash karima like it it just it gets to me because because i know her intent and uh people don't talk about enough about intent um so um but i was glad to see this picture i understand this is like the first time you guys met in the flesh but you've known each other in yeah. the digital sense
2: yeah so we 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 twitter follow each other and i follow her stuff and then she came to my event. like oh this is great let's let's meet up and let's let's do a couple of videos and yeah and what's interesting is that when i post about her too one there was one person who actually was a conservative saying hey you know what i don't agree with what i don't agree with a lot of what she says but Uh, I applaud her courage for putting herself out there and uh, with the intent that she has. So I think that's really, I think that's really great. I think that again, if you put yourself out there, you're going to be treated uh, poorly by some people. And I I think that she handles herself extremely well. And uh, yeah, I mean, she's another person that you say, Hey, you know, would you you want to go for politics? I don't know, but uh, no, I definitely have a huge 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 respect for her.
1: We should ask her because she joins us right now. Oh,
2: snap, get out of here. Hi hey Cream, how are you i'm good how are you oh my god i can't believe
1: this was this was this planned yeah, it, but... it was planned <laughs> oh yeah, my right. god <laughs> i like doing the surprise guest thing because it like you know i don't know how to like i mean i'm trying to fill an hour here right <laughs> i don't yeah. know how i can surprise anyone anymore so i i find myself like i'm the old man now, i'm tell the same stories in podcasts so i want to avoid that but it was great i didn't know this when i when i booked you I didn't know that this existed, which is, which is kind of neat because I, I saw, I don't know if you guys were interacting or, or if Bobby, you were interacting with someone else that I knew, but, um but then I, I, I went to your page and I was just like, this guy's really compelling. And, uh and I had seen you before. um And so, but when I saw that picture, I was like, okay, we've got to see if we can have cream on. so
2: it was, my, it was in my phone for like uh, weeks. I forgot to, I, I was just sitting there and I had to post it at some point. So I only did it recently, like like this week. So uh, mm. hi Kareem, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, this was a fun episode to, to sit in
1: on. Yeah. Kareem, how are you doing after today? Cause today was, um, I, I put my tweets, my homepage tweet to latest. So I often don't get, uh, you know, all the shit that's happening every day in and day out, but today yeah. and yesterday kind of seemed like pretty heavy days for you in the online sense.
0: It's been a rough, um, couple of months, but I would say probably especially the last week or so, um, And it's 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 interesting because it feels sort of coordinated um, and I don't know the extent to which that's actually the case. Um, But people coming out of the woodwork to like denounce me, which is interesting because I, I think I'm pretty, you know, just I'm there. Um, I, I'm not looking to cause trouble for anyone, um, and and what's been very humbling is people like yourself and Bobby, um, who sometimes take it upon themselves to just say, "Hang on, I disagree," and 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 sometimes that nips it in the bud. Uh, other times, it you know, it's a spiral, and people just like being angry online. So I've come to accept that as as part of existing in in a public space Um, but you know i i was facing sort of a similar thing this time last year um to a lesser sort of degree in terms of volume um but without that sense of support or comradeship um so all things considered um i'm doing okay
1: good um have you ever visualized the fiery death of, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that uh, only social media could produce the kind of comments that we see. And and what really stuck out for me and thankfully I, well, I don't, I wouldn't say her name anyways, and I don't remember it. So it doesn't matter. But there was a person that said that an article that you wrote, what I'm going to try to get the words right. Um, the, the the homeless guy that was killed uh, allegedly by these eight teenage girls somehow that person connected that murder to an article that you wrote months ago about homeless people not even about homeless people about certain individuals inside an encampment that you have had a history with because they harass you and she and and I was I felt like just walking up to her and just snapping my finger like i don't understand how you're getting this context out of what you're reading and then i remembered something that i always forget and oftentimes when people have that one issue that they care the most about and the issue could be totally fine homelessness or uh the environment or this or that they will not allow any type of thing to even nibble the edges of their issue without feeling overly protective about it and then eventually completely unreasonable about it. Do you find that is true as well?
0: I think that that it, it's sort of a not necessarily turf, but um, there is a, a sense of wanting to defend even at the risk of ignoring a problem or a malignancy, um, which you know makes that counterproductive. Um, I also think that uh, there's a tendency to just be disingenuous online Mm -hmm. and to have hot takes for the sake of it, um, you know, say outlandish things because maybe that's sort of the bandwagon you want to jump on. So I I try not to overanalyze why people say stupid things, but they, they do a lot. Yeah.
1: Bobby, is there a market for um, the authenticity kind of uh, game uh, where you, you sort of teach people how to be online authentic?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the work I do with uh, helping people with digital presence, I focus a lot on digital presence, how, digital content, digital presence. So, you know, for example, I'm teaching some person how to use Twitter properly. and And so I think that it's important to know what to respond to, what not to respond to, how to discern between those different things. And going back to what Kareem is talking about, you know, when people have narratives and you poke holes in their narratives what this bubble, they they start, they try to, they, instead of trying to patch it up, they, they completely ignore it. And they just keep saying the same stuff over and over again. They go back to their story because it makes them feel better. And so I think there's a way for us to, you know, people who criticize me uh, or say something about, yeah, you're a fraud. I've got those couple, I don't get them as much as you do, but, you know, uh, Sometimes I engage, and maybe I shouldn't. But other times I ignore them, and I and that I probably should. Or you know, and I have certain protocols in terms of when you should respond, maybe, maybe when you shouldn't, when you should delete or block. There's different things that you know people will say, and so yeah, teaching people how to do that and how to navigate it. I think teaching people on Twitter in particular is teaching them also how to navigate with empathy, because mm-hmm. you need to you need to exercise your empathy muscle on the platform; okay. otherwise, it will consume you.
0: Uh, it, you you get out of the app what you put into it, and that's true with sort of negative energy, positive energy. Um, I, I had a situation yesterday where you know after a year and a half of ignoring someone, I clapped back, uh, and maybe not the best decision. Just as far as um, the the meltdown that it triggered and sort of the rage that ensued and it was you know too effective a response on my part um and uh <laughs> you know it just it became its own issue and problem and I don't want to like sue more people but like maybe that's where it's going and 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 it it just you you get back what you put in is is the lesson that i keep retelling myself but it's it's hard when you're human you know
2: and and the other other thing i think is interesting is that uh, you know everyone uh, we all have our own styles and so you know i my style is different than what other people do and sometimes but but i have i have the capacity and the ability to be far more snarky and far more cutting uh, uh with people I just haven't done that. I don't do it very often. Like you know, like I see people all the time where they have like a, a, a cunning remark and they they take them down. And it's not my style. Although I do know that I I could do it. It just doesn't fit fit with my brand. So I think it's important for to know like who you know what what your style is and what works for you. Some people say, Bob, we want you rant more, but like, I don't want to rant too much. Like I'd rather have what's the learning, what's the lesson here? Uh, and uh, for people who you know say horrible things. I just call it out just, i call it very very nicely but you know sometimes I, I one of the things i've changed my perspective on actually over the years was pretty much when george floyd happened you know like i often talk about empathy and love and kindness and compassion and but i also think now that there's a time to scream and there's a time to be super angry there's a time to yell uh, and i think that that's important too we have to have those tools and vehicles in our I believe to be able to shout when when things are so horrific and you want to just yell at the world, I think that's okay too. And uh, there's a time and place for all those different things.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say that. uh, Kumi, you probably know this. Bobby, I I do a lot of coverage on this, um, what I consider to be a heinous cult um, that oppresses women and oppresses gay people. And uh, one of the um, people that I interviewed, her name's Cheryl Hope, and she told her story, it's a harrowing story, Just awful. I won't go into any of the details, but it's about uh, abuse She suffered as a child at the hands of this cult, and the 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 provincial governments are giving this uh, the businesses owned by this cult like millions and millions of dollars in contracts that are sole sourced. And she went from telling her story in kind of a shy, kind of nervous way, totally understandable, to today, uh, and this is a transformation over the last six months she's like, she's like, fuck this. I'm fucking angry. And she has every right to be. And I watch people go, you know, you don't have to express it with profanity. And I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) it just, it made me so angry. (laughs) Right. Like the, yeah. So anyways, I'm just, that's my way of saying I agree with the whole thing. Like sometimes you have to scream. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I get that a lot where it's like, well, you should just take the high road and it's like, fuck you. I take the high road all the time. And sometimes yeah. I won't. Right. Um, although to that point, um, and and Bobby, what you were saying about snarky responses, it's very nice to have sort of a circle, uh, you know, where you can just say it. And I wish I could say this to them. And then, you know, that's your catharsis. You get it out and then you either ignore or have a more gentle reply. My draft, sort of, if the drafts were ever released, that would be a problem. Uh, <laughs>
1: that's funny because it it, it, when do you release like like if because i'm a writer so i have a process um i feel like i'm really good at like quick fire responses because then i don't have to think about it too much Mm -hmm. um but that could also backfire as well because my process goes from like like I'm up with the idea and then I'm like, edit, 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 too much editing back up. And if I post anything that isn't right at the beginning or right at the end of that, and I post something in the middle of my process, it's it's not going to land well. I'm going to look like a dick. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just going to be, I'm going to contribute to the swamp that is Twitter. Cause it took me a long time to even want to post anything on Twitter. I found Twitter to be really gross when you're not on Twitter for a long time. It's similar to how, I, so I'm a Torontonian lifer um and <clears throat> now i live in the sticks i live in the auto i live in, in, in the Matawaska valley like four hours away from toronto like my town is 700 people okay and when i go back to toronto it feels weird because of the advertising i feel like i'm bombarded and and i and i hate it the only billboard i see every single fucking day is this cafe that i don't even know if it exists anymore and the sign's rusty right it's like <laughs> and i like that uh social media is similar and the arguing is similar. If I unplug for like a week and then go back, it's fucking weird. It feels like you're just dealing with people that have personality disorders all day long. And I don't. And if you do, if you do these weird experiments, I don't know if you guys ever tried this. Have you ever tried just being like with a snarky person, just being really substantive and um, non combative and empathetic and and you know um, generous with your words, and then they they're snarky. And then they're snarkier and then you just maintain. And then they're so fucking snarky after that you just maintain. Because I think they don't think you're serious. That, that's the weird thing. You can be authentic and people are like, Pfft. yeah, he's, that's a strategy.
0: People will read bad intent um, because they themselves may be operating with it or they expect the worst of others. And, and that sort of tone um, – you can't really convey it with just your words right because the same sentence read two different ways um will be received and you can't control how anyone receives it so uh i i've seen that play out i i I don't really get into the phrase so much anymore um i just post my stuff and
2: yeah, and I typically will, you know, give one or two thoughtful responses, or and then if they continue back, if they continue with the rage, uh, I'll I'll just let it go. And, and often the thing that happens on other platforms like uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, where you you know you have a post and then there's a big conversation and it's controversial, or whatever. Uh, I will call out, you know, bullshit, inappropriate behavior. I said, look, this is unprofessional and inappropriate. I, I suggest you retract your comment or edit it, or let's have a meaningful conversation. And then they, then they go, ah, ah, ah. I said, you know what? Uh, uh, okay, I gave you one chance. This is your last chance. If you don't do this, I'm going to politely show you the door. And then, okay, and then I delete them and block them, right? So, you know, that, that's something that I do uh, on those platforms as well. And, you know, I think, you know, I give it a couple of chances, but at a certain point, you also have to create space for yourself. That's, you know, you don't want to get put, put harm to, don't, don't give yourself mental harm too, right? You have to protect yourself and have it mm-hmm. self care, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I often think it would be funny to see it like a comedy skit where you take like a Twitter thread war and you just get actors to act out what the twitter comments are yeah that's it would a great be idea. so oh it'd be so bizarre and then there would be things like you know you're not really that smart and the next guy's like and this is just acting this is skit comedy it's your not your <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, uh. it'd be the greatest comedy skit i think ever um, yeah listen i'm glad both of you guys were able to connect and come tonight um, i, I w- you know, I have a couple minutes left. Um, what advice would you be? And, and this is just ex- like uh, just for the fun of the hypothetical. But knowing what Kareem is going through and knowing what you do for a living, what sort of advice would you ever give Kareem if she asked you for it in the situation that she's in right now? What, what, what advice would I give to Karima? That's correct, yeah. Well,
0: this was I a mean, setup for a free consultation. I,
2: I guess. I mean, I think the thing that I want, I'd want to know more specifically is you go through the history of what you've done, what you've been through, and how you respond to things. What are the things that uh, either, A, you wish you hadn't done, and B, uh, wish you'd done better, and really look at that, because I think that, uh, you know, as as part of navigating the the space that is Twitter in and, and what you're doing out there, right, there's always those things that we can – look upon and to do better at and also learn to let go of certain things so i think as a coach i want to dive deep into those things and figure it out figure from that figure out what's the best strategy moving forward because it may shift a little like so for example you know in my own self-assessment i've shifted to now sometimes i definitely scream or i get angry when when george floyd you know got killed and so i'm now definitely talking about racism and being a little bit more angry sometimes, and so that's a shift for me uh and but but you know I could I could probably do more but you know and then uh, does it align with your brand does it align with who you are so that's probably a, a, what I'd want to do with Crema to see you know where she feels uh, emotionally that uh, it's draining and then how can we find tools to help her uh navigate that uh, in a little bit more healthy way that uh, she feels more empowered and more impactful
1: okay crema <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, no, that, that that's the process, right? And it is a process. Yeah. And I find yeah. that I just the way that you use Twitter changes based on your life circumstances and what you want to get out of it. Um, I, I think, I, I mean, I have a difficult time um, sort of with people who come in to threads and already have their worldview or narrative that is set and then... Mm-hmm. They're intent on propagating that. And it's like, well, do I block you because I want to protect my peace? You know, on the other hand, that turns into its own whole thing, like dealing with that misinformation when it comes Mm. to you, right? Not even it's happening elsewhere and you can't control the entire internet, but, but sometimes it comes to you. And that's, that's my current uh, struggle.
1: Well, um, I wouldn't change a thing if I were you. I I, I I'm really um, yeah. and I'm happy to come in there. I like completely. it so far and too. What's that, I like it so far
2: too. I mean, I yeah, more you know, like, was more like let's, you know, let's do time. a deep let's do a deeper dive analysis. But for the most part, yeah, it's great. Keep it up.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. But, you know, and and I don't mind kicking the door once in a while and it hitting people in the forehead. You know, I'm I'm fine with that I, because sometimes you. you I don't know. You got to stick. Up I wish I could
2: do it more. I wish I could do it more. See, so for me, that's a thing. I wish I could be more. Because, like I said, when when I'm with my buddies, or if I'm doing a, a specific like comedy routine or a debate thing, oh, boom, boom, in your face, I can. And and Twitter's taught me to be very very concise and to the point, and I can do that really really well. I also know how to cut through people's assumptions and bullshit, but I wish I could do that better. Uh, I usually do thoughtful threads or longer posts about that, but I wish I could do more of that stuff uh, on places
1: like Twitter. But I don't. Bobby, I got to I got I to tell you, I, I I've 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 been a battle rapper in the past. Yeah. I am constantly censoring myself, no matter what I'm doing. I'm a recovering dickhead. Okay. I would say I, I, for years I spent like just, ex, you know, eviscerating people online, just like whatever. And, and I, it honestly has taken me a long time to, I don't even know if I have shed that. I don't know what people think of me. I have no idea, but I, I don't want that to be my personal brand anymore. Right. So right. I'm constantly censoring myself today. That was about 40% of what I could give you cream which is saying something. I, I, thought,
0: I thought it was, you were batting a hundred. Well, oh. sorry, I shouldn't say batting because I don't Dude, know how that sports analogy that's works. That's not that a good happen?
1: average in baseball, just to let you know, okay. but go ahead. You
0: were 100% on the exam.
1: Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Sorry. Kareem Sad, Bobby Umar, thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm glad I was able to connect you guys. Uh, Krima, thank you so much for doing that. And uh, I hope you guys too. had a good time tonight.
2: Yeah, thanks. What a delight, Crema. Thanks so much. Thanks Thanks again. See you guys
1: thank soon. You guys. All right, have a good one. Bye. Okay, um, that was nice. Um I didn't. I didn't really know what to expect with Bobby, but um, but if I were to think back as to what made, what prompted me to have him on in the first place, I thought he he was exactly as advertised, which is he was authentic. Um, so it's 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 good that the guy teaching authenticity is is authentic. That's probably an asset. Um, I haven't decided if I can do a show tomorrow. Uh, if I do, it'll be a Plymouth Brethren show. There's new developments um, that'll get into tomorrow if we do a show. But Casual Fridays will be back this Friday. I guess there'll be a Christmas theme. You know, uh we'll have like a manger and I'll I'll stick like a chicken egg in the in the in the manger or something. Well, that'll be Jesus. And uh yeah. It should be fun. Um my big thanks again to Kareem Sad and to Bobby Umar and we will see you next time on Blackball.
0: Blackball. Black Black Blackball. Blackball.